Man, good Friday. I'm so glad you're joining me for this number seven of our eight series of Why Did Jesus Die? Well, we're looking at this question and we're going to answer it. And today we look to Good Friday and this is the day that Jesus died on the cross, that he took and bore our sins. He bore your chastisement. He bore my chastisement. He paid the penalty for our sins. And so in this story, we talked yesterday about the Last Supper. And after the Last Supper, they left and they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And here Jesus is in the garden and and he's burdened by what's in front of him. And they're praying and he's asking his disciples to pray with him and they abandon him. And in this final hour, Judas comes up and betrays him. And there is this seeming picture, if you will, that chaos is ensuing and everything is out of place. It, it's dark and here comes the soldiers in with their, or the not so the guards of the temple guards and they're coming in with their um, their vestments, their weapons, their swords and their, their torches and, and they're coming in right to where Jesus is because Judas is leading them there. And the disciples were asleep and they're woken up and everything's in a disarray and they're coming and, they, and Jesus asks, who are you searching for? And they say, we're searching for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And a beautiful picture takes place because when he says that, the guards fall down. The people that came to arrest him were knocked down off their feet. And then right after this, they get up and, and Peter begin, pulls out his sword and begins to fight and he cuts off the ear of one of the, the men and Jesus looks at Peter and says, put away your sword because I am about my father's business. He says, you're not stopping what is going on because I am obedient to the father's will. And so we see this picture play out where this isn't just, again, It's this is the will, the purpose, and the plan of God. And these details in these stories begin to point to this and show that, that he is still in control. And so then he goes and he is before the, um, the Sanhedrin and they, they question him and, and go for him. And then they... Um, and then he's sent to the the Romans to, to be beaten and have his beard plucked and, and he's whipped on his back. And we see that Jesus then goes to the cross. Man, a picture for you and for me. And what I want to share with you today is that in our lives, you know, we often look at what's going on and, and we look at the chaos and we think that everything is in chaos. But when we look at this story, we see that the sovereign God is in control of what's going on. And um, as as we look at this, I want to look at another sacrifice in the, the book of Genesis that kind of helps unpack and give us a picture and a window of what's happening here. And it's the story of Abraham and Abraham's an old man. And by this time, he is well on in his years and God had called him out as a pagan and and he called him to leave his people and leave all his things and and to follow him and he would show him a new place. And so Abraham moves out and he follows God and becomes nomadic and he lives in tents and he's um, like an alien just wandering around and God comes and tells him he's going to have a son. And here he is as an old man and God makes him this promise and He's 80 years old, and then when he's 100 years old, he has a son. And so then God comes back to Abraham, and he says, I want you to take your son, your only son, the one you love, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice. And, um, man, there's there's a lot that the Bible kind of leaves out in this story. And so 
you know, it's easy to kind of wonder, like, what was he thinking? What was going through his mind when God asked him that? And, you know, as, as in, our, in our normal states, like, if that was required of us, we would find it hard to do. In fact, it would probably be impossible for the vast majority of us to do what Abraham did. And, and you know, the story is not so that we would go and do like Abraham. You know, we would be like Abraham. The point of the story is, is that this request that God is making of Abraham, God is then giving Abraham what he needs to fulfill it because the Bible says that he got up early the next day and him and Isaac set out. And here in a picture of perfect obedience, Abraham is is climbing the mountain and his son is behind him and his son is carrying the sticks. And you just, I can't believe that he is going to do this without the supernatural infusion of what he needs, this faith that he needs to step out and to do this. And then he makes another dramatic um, evidence of faith in his life. And Isaac is, is following his father up. And this is another great evidence of God doing a great work in a man's heart to provide what he needs because Isaac is he's obediently following his father. And so he, he looks and there's fire and he looks and there's he's carrying the sticks for the sacrifice. And, and so he looks at his father and he says, Father, we, I see the fire and I see the sticks. He says, but where is the sacrifice? Um, because he understood that they were going to worship and he understood they were going to make a sacrifice. And he noticed that, man, all these pieces are there, but there's something missing. And Abraham gives us an, another dramatic example of faith, the faith that God does in us. And he says, um, God will provide. You see, in this story, there is a beautiful picture of what God requires. He provides. And man, so many times we, we think that we have to step out and do this on our own will or if that God calls us to something that we have to muster the faith or we have to um, pull our bootstraps on. But the reality and the truth is, is that what God calls us to, he gives us the faith. He gives us the obedience to follow this through. In fact, um, man, in uh, Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son to whom it was said that through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You know, um, God provided the faith, the obedience, and the sacrifice. And that's what was God was asking for in this. He, he was asking for Abraham in faith <clears throat> to trust him. He knew that God was the God who gives good gifts. And he knew that the God was the creator of life. And um, because he had seen that from his dead womb, life had come from his dead body and from Sarah's dead womb, life came. And so he knew God in these terms. And he, and he had walked with God and he had realized this and faith had grew in his heart. And it was that same evidence of faith that moved him to this. And in Hebrews 12, it says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, 
that Jesus is the one who is who's the founder and perfecter of our faith, the, the faith that we stand on, the faith that's at work in us, the faith that is producing obedience in us. And it says, for who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the same shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And, and we, we see this beautiful picture and that through the work of Jesus, that his work on the cross puts and it works faith in us. It works obedience in us. And, it, and he was the sacrifice. You see, God was in control then, and He is sovereign now. He was in control for Abraham, and He is, was in control when Jesus went to the cross, and He is in control in your life. He was sovereign over all those. And the third thing I want you to see today is that in this picture of the cross, we are to conform to the image of Christ. Um, Peter would put it this way. He said, for what credit is it, is it for you that if you sin and you're beaten for it or you're judged for it or that you are punished for it and you endure your punishment because it's due you, he says, like, what credit is that? He said, but if, if you do good and you suffer and then you endure, he says, then this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And and when we when Peter it gives this example when he lays this out because he was talking to a group of people that had been through suffering and been through a hard time. And he said um, that he said he could say this because Christ is our example in this. And he says, um, for this, you have been called and because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. And, and Peter is not saying that we're supposed to all go to the cross and die on a, on a wooden cross on a crucifix. No, but what he's saying is that it, that we will all experience suffering. We will all experience these trials. We will all experience these times of testing to, to prove what's in our heart, but also to prove within us that God is faithful to carry us through. He is faithful to provide what we need, to provide the faith, to provide the obedience in our lives. And it says that, um, Christ also suffered for you, leaving for you an example so that you might follow in his steps. See, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. But when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You see what Christ is doing us is that it's not that he is an example for us to follow. He's an example for us to see of what he wants to do within us. Because if he's just an example for us to follow, then that's moralism. Then, then we're just supposed to be good for the sake of being good or do good for the sake of doing good. But we're not called to moralism. We're called to faith. And then when we step in faith, then Christ comes and works this in us. And he continued to entrust himself to his father. And as we continue to entrust ourselves to Jesus, we see that he does work these things in us. And he, he works his righteousnesses. He works his faith in us so that in the time, in that trial, we can stand strong in his faith. And Hebrews 5, it says, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And 
this example for us too, that in our suffering, we learn obedience. We learn to trust Jesus. We learn to remain steadfast in him. We learn to continue to entrust ourselves in him. And he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And he says, after you have suffered a little while, he will restore you. So, you know, I I don't know if, if maybe, you know, this season in your life, you're going through a struggle or maybe you're not. And if you're not, I hope you would remember these words when, when you do hit, hit a struggle, when you hit um, a time of testing, a time where you feel like you are being proved or you're put through the vice or the grips, and, and, and that you would entrust your heart, you would entrust your life, you would entrust the situation to Jesus who bore these things, who went before us, who became the firstborn of, in our salvation. And when we see that in that, that God was in control, he was sovereign in all of that the whole time. He, he was over every little detail, over every little point. It was his plan and his purpose. And if God is sovereign then, then he is sovereign now because he's the God who doesn't change. And when we find ourselves in Christ, when we're hidden in him, that Christ, that God looks upon us and sees his son and has a great love toward us because of his son, so I want to encourage you today that hopefully there's a great joy that's in your heart as you see this and you feel this and you know this, that Christ is working in you something beautiful. So Father, I pray that you would continue to work in us a beautiful gift, a beautiful treasure, a beautiful light. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice, for his atonement on the cross, for what he gave Lord, let that resonate in our hearts today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.